to another episode of Speaking Literally, where the books speak for themselves. I'm Liz. And I'm Holly. And today we'll be going through some classical conversations about some of our favourite and some of our not-so-favourite classics. Um, But first, we've got the bookish buzz. So, uh, Holly, what's the, the bookish buzz? So there's actually quite a bit of, of news out there. Not a lot of like life altering, life changing news, but a lot of little things coming up. So Brandon Sanderson, Wheel of Time. I think, didn't you read, did you read one of them? Did you, was it? Um, I haven't read Wheel of Time. I read, uh, The Way of the Kings, the first part of Way of the Kings. It was really good because he's done, he's done loads and loads of books. Yeah. And I I know that just became like Wheel of Time just became a like, was it a Netflix or an Amazon Prime kind of show that's done really, really well. Well, apparently he has jumped on the crowdfunding bandwagon and is using a platform called Kickstarter. I've never heard of Kickstarter. I've heard of like, go, you know, the fund, GoFundMe and things like that. But apparently he has a Kickstarter page that has over 87,000 fans um, and he has raised over $23 million American and 17.5 million pounds in order to publish his next books. So apparently over, uh, there's four of them and I guess he wrote them over the, during the pandemic over like the quarantine um, and now everyone wants him to to publish them. So he's raised millions of dollars from crowdfunding sources. Um, <laughs> that must be nice. I mean, yeah, that's where is most of that money going to go to? Cause, I mean, it's not going to cost $23 million to publish four books. Right. <laughs> you would like to think that he would just like, you know, use it, either donate it to a good charity or use it to publish his next four books after these four books. I mean, yeah, let's face it. Brandon Sanderson is a massive name in fantasy. So he doesn't really need the money. So much. <laughs> I'm quite surprised that he did this because he's sold millions of copies of all of his series and still got obviously books coming out. So I was quite surprised actually when I read this. Yeah. And, um, and in case our listeners want to donate to him, um, <laughs> his Kickstarter page is going to be open for donations through April 1st. So, so you can still donate. Yes. Uh, yeah. There you go. I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know why, whether he really needed to crowdfund. Yeah. Cause unless they are very, very different from his fantasy series and his agent won't publish them. So oh. publish them. Well, that's an interesting that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Because otherwise his agent would jump on them because he's sold so many different, so many copies of all of the books he's, he's written. So, well, maybe, yeah, maybe since it ends on April 1st and it's April Fool's Day, maybe he'll be like, April Fool's, this was actually <laughs> a fundraiser for some really like amazing charity or like multiple charities, like Make a Wish Foundation or helping the Ukrainians, you know, um, with their relief efforts and who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe, maybe he'll just do something crazy. Have you actually looked on the page to see kind of how much it costs for that, for you to get a free book from? I haven't. I'm really curious now. (laughs) I'm actually looking as we speak because I'm I'm just too curious what the rewards are. Like, 
because yeah so crowdfunding is very much like the GoFundMe pages mm-hmm. they give different levels um and um oh, there's a year of sanderson where you get shipments of book boxes and swag boxes okay that's kind of interesting all right you so get you're getting crazy, something so. for your donation so it's not really a donation then you're buying for a book box or you're paying for a book so box. 40 do- yep so 40 dollars gets you quarterly books which is an ebook okay so you're paying 40 dollars for for four books four ebooks that's kind of quite pricey ten dollars for an ebook yeah each. i'd rather have a paper copy gets you yeah sixty dollars gets you quarterly audio and ebooks and this is for january april july and october next year okay 160 dollars gets you quarterly premium hardcovers unsigned and ebooks so i mean that's not too bad you've got four Four hardbacks and four ebooks, whether they're different or whether they're exactly the same. So that would be like, yeah, like are you getting only four books in two formats or are you getting eight books in two different formats? Exactly. Because for $160, I'd want to know that. So the highest, I'm not going to give it all because there's so many, the highest one is $500, $500. And you get a year of sentence in all formats, which is quarterly premium hardcovers, Quarterly audiobooks, quarterly ebooks, and eight swag boxes for five hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. Well, his books better be like amazing. That he's and publishing. yeah, as you say, in pounds now it's up to twenty one point three million. Well, here, here. What about this thought? So this is all for him to self publish these four books. So I'm wondering if the four books you're getting are these four books, and you're getting these four books in multiple formats. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, why would you want multiple formats? Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I know. So uh, money always sets people off. All right. What, what else is happening, Liz? Well, this one is pretty exciting. Um, Cormac McCarthy, he is the Pulitzer winner. Um, for his last book, The Road, which I believe was released in 2006. Um, fantastic book. They have, um, he's announced he's releasing two new books, um, this year. Uh, so this is after 16 year hiatus. Uh, the first one comes out in October and the other one comes out in November. Uh, and I also read online that they are bringing them out as like a little box set as well, because the second one, if I remember rightly, is like a companion novel to the first one. Um, so yeah, that one is very exciting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and it sounds quite apocalyptic, just like the road as well. Yeah, I should probably read the road. I know. I'm you one. Read the road. I do. It's I... a very quick read. It's very short. Okay. I'll, I'll add it to my, <laughs> my ever expanding to be read list. Lord, it's getting long. Ah, uh, well, I mean, but that's good. But... So that gives people time. Like it's, a, you know, it's, and not until October, so we still have, you know, um, seven, seven-ish months before that comes comes around. Um, so, and I know a lot of people will be happy. Maths doesn't fail her again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, math. Math is all around us, folks. Learn your math. I did. I did have to though, take a couple seconds in my head to make sure that I had like three to three to ten um, was seven, but it is. Um, all right. Well, speaking of uh, books that are going to be coming out, you know Britney Spears, right? I'm sure you know Britney Spears. 
Yeah, I know Britney Spears. You know, I mean, I used to like her as a, when I was a teenager when she first came out. Yeah, I liked I liked her too when when she first came out. My husband still loves her song "Toxic." Like that's his like one of his like all time favorite <laughs> favorite songs is her "Toxic." And I'm like, whatever. Like it comes on the radio every now and then. He'll crank it up, and I'm like, really? But anyways, need to video him singing to it. Oh yes, <laughs> that'll go viral on TikTok for sure. So here's the thing. We all know that Britney Spears has been in the news for years um, for antics and just controversial situations and just, you know, and people who are fascinated by, you know, celebrities and fame and riches will be will will be all over this one but she is going to um be writing her tell-all memoir um she signed a 15 million dollar deal to write this and get this published so the big question liz are you going to read it i really want to fund her (laughs) i mean she's like she obviously she was in the news a few months ago because she finally got the light basically the rights to her life back mm-hmm. she was the conservatorship has been passed back to her from her father um because they think that she's mentally stable enough to live her own life and to look after herself right and then she she wanted it back she wanted the baby and it's been very dramatic i mean i mean it could be interesting if she has a ghostwriter mm-hmm then it could work but if she writes it i just feel like i don't think it's gonna be very engaging i mean i've read there are some memoirs that you read and you know that they haven't had a ghostwriter and just it's so disjointed and awful to read i don't know i I think i'll probably skip it to be fair yeah i'm definitely gonna I want to wait to see what the reviews are and what, like, what the, like, the general public's reception of it is. Yeah, I, I won't be thrilled. Because part <laughs> of me thinks it could be a train wreck that you just, like, you know, are just so engrossed because just, watching. yeah, like, you know, yeah. um, so I don't know. It, it'll definitely be interesting. So, um, so be on the lookout, uh, for that. What else? There's some good news coming in here. There is no, there is some nicer stuff, which is um, we've got some more book rights that have been sold to movie producers, um, including the new Lucy Foley, uh, sorry, Lisa Fo- Lucy Fo- Foley, yeah, mm-hmm. um, book, uh, which is the Paris Apartment, and it's Lisa Foley. Sorry, I keep on getting those two mixed up. <laughs> Lisa Foley's new, new book, The Paris Apartment, um, and also more excitingly is The Last House on Needless Streets, um, which was obviously by Catriona Ward. That has been sold by Imaginarium, uh, sorry, sold to Imaginarium Productions, which is owned by Andy Serkis, i.e. Gollum from Lord of the Rings. So that's really exciting. Um, obviously, if you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know that both of us loved this book when it came out. I read it back in November, October, November now. Yeah, because I think I read it in like August, September, and I'm like, yeah, when are you going to read this book? <laughs> And you finally did. Um, it was oh, such a brilliant book. So, um, yes, yeah, that is good. has been sold. So hopefully they'll be announcing more stuff, more news about it soon. But we shall see. I can't wait. I cannot wait. And like, and I, I really hope, and we had this conversation right before we started recording, um, about it being done right. Um, like The House mm-hmm. on Needless Street is one of those books that is just so intricate. 
and just there's so many little pieces to it that if it's not done right, I think it's going to flop. It needs to have really good tension building and you've got to have a good, like a really good actor to play the main, the main character because he was such a complex character Uh that you're going to need somebody with good acting skills for that. Yeah, exactly. And you better get a good acting cat. Because Olivia was like one of my favorite characters ever. And I want a Bible reading cat. <laughs> but I also think that the Lucy Foley book, um, you know, the, the Paris Apartment, which just came out, I think, this past week. Um, you know, I want to read it. It's on my list to read. I read the guest list. I, I was one of those people who really enjoyed the guest list. So I'm really excited about the Paris Apartment. Um <clears throat> I was a little disappointed. I did try to request it on NetGalley, and I wasn't approved for it. I wasn't rejected for it. It's just, it's sitting there pending, so maybe she'll maybe she'll listen to this podcast and be like, they're talking about me. I will totally approve their request for NetGalley. Um, you never know. Um, but I, I'm excited about that one, too. Like, um, So at least it gives us time to read it. That's for sure. Um, and, and I don't know for either of those, like if they're going to be released like mainstream, like movie theaters, or if they're just going to come out on streaming services, um, like Amazon prime, but interesting little thing about Amazon, guess what they're doing? What are they doing? They're closing all of their stores. Why are they closing their stores, their bookstores? So apparently they have 68 bookstores and, um, and they're closing them and all their little pop-up shops. Yeah, no, we had a conversation about this before, um, before the podcast, before we recorded. What, uh, from what I've read, they're closing the bookstores to help expand the grocery side of their business. So to help the other physical stores succeed. It's like, don't, like, make us book lovers lose out just because you want the majority to, to succeed. Here, here's the book thing. Bookstores are important. Books are food for the soul. Exactly. So, so yeah, (laughs) so it's like closing a grocery store. So they, they can't close it. Like, I'm really bummed. However, yeah, there's only one Amazon, um, bookshop, um, near me and it's not even really near me. I'd have to drive like 45 minutes to get to it. So I didn't even know it was here. Um, but I can imagine that the people that like go there, and I think you said that there was one in London, right? Is there one in yeah, London? Yeah, I think there's one in London. I haven't been there, but I think there's one there. Yeah. So, um, so Liz, this is what we've got to do. You got to make a trip to London and go before it closes, and I will go to Scottsdale, <laughs> um, and go to the store there before it closes, so that we can uh, we can experience, you know, is it really worth them closing yeah. this bookshop? Because me. I doubt it. All right. So um, stay tuned for our adventures in Amazon bookshops before they close. <laughs> so we should probably go soon. I don't know what the closing date is. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just saw it closing. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. Almost done. Oh, but the next – you get the sad news. Ah, <sighs> thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're, do you know, Holly, Holly actually skipped over this one did to I? get to the happy news. So, yeah, she did. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't, actually. <laughs> I don't think um, I skipped. Okay. I, I wouldn't surprise me. Okay. So, on to, yep, yeah, serious. Yeah, serious voices. Um, yeah, so this was another really sad loss. So, 
this is the second children's author we've lost this year. The first one was Jill Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, no, sorry, Jill Murphy. Yeah. Um, and sadly, we have now uh, lost Shirley Hughes, who was the author of over 50 kids' books, and she illustrated over 200 books. Um, she died at age 94 on February 25th. So such a massive loss to to kids' literature again. Yeah. Um, they've got to stop dying on us. I know. These books, we we read these books as kids. Yeah. And we, um, some of these books I've read to my nephews and nieces, so it's just such a loss. Um. But yeah, so rest in peace, Shirley. Yeah, it's so sad. But you know, she leaves behind such a amazing literary legacy. So oh, um, definitely, yeah, they'll be read for years and years, generations. Yeah, so. and it's just, it makes you wish that people, you know, just you know, ninety four is a long, long life. But at the same time, you're just like, but there's more years. Like, why couldn't she lived a couple more years? But oh, sad news. So um. All right. Well, now I feel like, how do you come back from sad news? Um, let's finish on a, on a, yeah, let's finish on a, on a high note for the bookish buzz. So yeah. What, what else is there in the bookish buzz? So it's not really bookish news, but it's, it's, it was, um, Katarina Ward, who we just talked about with her book, um, Last House on Needless Three, and she just released her new book, Sundial. Again, I believe it just came out this week or like this past week or the week before. So it came out, it was released in March. Um, but she did an interview with the guardian and I read it and I was just, it was really interesting. Like she's, I, I mean, she has to be an interesting person. She wrote the last house on needless street. And, um, so you know that there's, she's, she's a, a really interesting person. Um, but there was one question that kind of, that she was asked that really struck me when you think about thrillers. People love horror books and thriller books. It's it, it's a it's a very popular genre of literature, um, and so she was asked the question by the Guardian of why do you think horror still elicits an ambivalence that other genres have shrugged off? Um, so it you know I think it's 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 interesting because like we um, it took me a second to kind of understand the question just to start with like. I don't know. I was a little confused by that question. I'm like, I don't understand like the ambivalence that they're referring to because I know so many people aren't ambivalent to the horror because it's such a popular genre. But at the same time, it's not my go-to genre. Like I don't like, I like a good thriller or horror every now and then. Um, but, um, but her response was, was this. And then Liz, I want to hear your opinions on what Katarina Ward's, statement was her response is i think it's because of the diff- the difficulty of engaging with it and having to open yourself up to feelings which society dismisses as being quite childlike fear isn't something we're particularly interested in dissecting it's considered a bit shock shockly schlockly yeah, you say that word five times fast. She didn't say that, by the way. But she did say, but when done right, horror is a transformative experience. What do you think about that, Liz? It's very, in, it's very in-depth. I mean, it it completely makes sense. As we were saying before, having fears of anything, whether that's kind of the unknown or the creature under the beds or in the wardrobe, <laughs> Um, is often seen as being childlike. Being scared of something is kind of almost seen as being immature to some extent. Uh, 
so I think it they're completely right really because the whole feeling that you get reading horror as I say it is very transformative it will it can make you unsettled it can make you unnerved it can, it can make you scared um if it is done right and I guess perhaps that's why it's not considered a mainstream genre because not everyone wants to go back to that feeling of, that they had as a child of being scared of things. So it makes sense. Yeah, I completely, I do completely agree about the reason why, why we do have this ambivalence um, with the horror genre. Uh, what do you think? I agree. I think, you know, as people get over, older, they're not supposed to be scared of things. They're not mm. supposed to have fears. They're, you know, you know that like logically their monsters don't live under your bed. Um, but like at the same time, like I'm, I'm older, I'm in my forties and I am absolutely petrified of spiders. Do I have a reason? No, they're tiny little creatures. I mean, granted I, I live in Arizona, so they're not all little, like we have tarantulas here. Um, but for the most part, like the little tiny spiders that you'll kill in your house, they're tiny. I'm a lot bigger than them. I shouldn't be scared of them. I know that. But I am absolutely petrified of them. Um, you know, and some of that comes from experiences I like an experience I had when I was young. And I think that a lot of, you know, what we're scared of comes from something that happened when we were young even something stupid and, and minimal, but when we're young, we're, we're so, um, impressionable. And I think that like that moment, if you perceive that moment as a child full of fear, it lingers and it stays with you. You're almost conditioned to that point. Like I, I, my son is, he'll be 16 next month. He is terrified of the dark. I have no idea why. Like, he can't pinpoint a moment from his, you know, younger childhood that he was scared. But here's the thing about, like, the comment she made about society dismisses them as being childlike. My 13-year-old daughter laughs at him and makes fun of him. You know, we yell at her, of course. Like, we don't in- encourage her. But but <laughs> she, uh, I'm like, I'm the parent. I'm the only one allowed to make fun of him. No, I don't make fun of him. I understand. But I understand it. Like, we're all scared of something. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want him to feel bad because he's scared of something. So I do agree that, like, with what she says at the end there, that um, if done right, horror can be a transformative experience. Because I think you, oh, yeah. you know, I think in some some ways you can really relate to some of that stuff. So an interesting, very interesting article. So in our interview, I'm um, done by the guardian. So I'm sure you can Google it. Um, so Katarina Ward, um, uh, her, her, you can Google her interview with the guardian. All right, Liz, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll jump into what we're reading. We'll talk about the New York times, um, bestseller list updates and what's coming out. So we'll be back in just a second. All right. So before we talk about the New York Times bestseller list, um, I, I've been dying to get into what we've been reading. So, Liz, <laughs> what did you just finish? <laughs> so I just finished um, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. <laughs> um, oh, my God, was it amazing. I 
it's I've actually had, had a bit of a sci-fi month. I mean, the last one I read before <laughs> this was um, The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells, so a very classic kind of sci-fi. And then I thought, okay, it's time to, to kind of go a bit spacey sci-fi. Um, and this one Holly actually recommended to me quite a while ago now, um, a few months ago. And, oh, it just hooked me from the start. I didn't realise how much science nerdiness that I liked. I feel like I've kind of come full circle and embracing the science nerdiness now um, because it was, it's full of kind of mathematical equations. It's full of, like, um, <clears throat> talking of velocity and speed and spacecraft and space travel, which was actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. I did not think I would enjoy it that much. Um, but... Oh, it was so good. It's definitely five star read for me. Hundred oh. percent. I think I read, I read it in like four days because I just couldn't stop reading it, um, and I kept on messaging Holly, going, "Oh my god, oh my god, this happened. Oh my god, don't, please, don't let this happen." You know, it's funny because you'd message me, and I'm like, like, because I read it like in July, so it's been a little while since I've read it. So trying to keep the order of some of the things that happened in the story straight, like I didn't want to be like, "Have you gotten to this scene yet?" And you'd be like. No, and I'm like, oh crap! Don't want to spoil anything. Um, but oh my god, absolute five star read. Um, brilliant, brilliant book. Um, like just you know, I don't even, you know. I think it will tug on your sci-fi strings, even if you're not a sci-fi like normal sci-fi reader. This I didn't is realize that sci-fi could be so emotional though. Wow, yeah. I think I cried like twice in that book. But here's it the was thing, so that, emotional. and I think that's why the book is so successful is because it has, like you said, the, all the elements that you'd want in a good sci-fi book, like, you know, trying to save the world, you know, this is our last, you know, it's project hail Mary, you know, hail Mary is like, you know, your last, last three seconds of the game, last opportunity to score. It like, this is, this is, you know, earth is in its 11th hour and this is the only way that we can save, Mm. save the world is the space travel to this other, you know, dimensions, not really dimension, but solar system, whatever, to retrieve what they're, what they're needing to get. But you have such a human aspect of it because the book actually has those, um, that back and forth timeline of him in space yeah. and his time on earth leading yeah. up to how did he actually get on the spaceship in the middle of like nowhere space. Um, I love that. I loved the fact they did it like a jeweled timeline. Yeah. I thought that was really clever. Um, and just before I read it, reading the back, the fact that he managed to get testimonials from some of the current biggest fancy writers. So we had Brandon Sanderson. We had George R. R. Martin. Um, he even had a friggin' testimonial from an astronaut Ooh. who said it was feasible. So the fact that he had an astronaut saying it was feasible is just, it's crazy. And you read it and thinking this, thinking this could actually happen. This isn't, this isn't fancy. This is something that he has considered and could potentially happen, uh-huh. which is a terrifying thought. Like some of yeah. the things that they went through is freaking terrifying. It, um, it, well, I think one of the things I also liked about it was it wasn't like, 
glorified. It wasn't like not everything worked yeah. out. Like, you know, and and I think that makes it a little bit more realistic when, you know, it it, it wasn't super predictable. It's not like, you know, um, everything is, you know, it's, it's, it's science, it's technology, it's math. Like we can, you know, it's the unknown though. So we can only do so much predicting with math and science of what we don't know. And so I really appreciated the fact that not everything went according to plan and oh, new yeah. plans and had to be and yeah and and it's like you know and sometimes that came with some really tragic results um but it just it was really good and the the dual timelines created the the human the human aspect of the sci-fi so the book wasn't just like all about sci-fi and technology and space you had a huge human element that was created. Oh, yeah. All about relationships and, and friendships. And decisions and, and the consequences of our decisions. I just want to say, Rocky. Oh, I love Rocky. Rocky is the best character ever. I know. Oh, goodness. And Yeah. Oh, you know, and it's funny because like when I, you know, was first reading and was first and, and Rocky was first introduced, that was the one area where I'm like, this could go one of two ways. Like this could yeah, go in a really positive way or a really sci-fi <laughs> horror way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was quite concerning when I first read that bit. I was like, okay, what's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, a lot of sci-fi, you know, and that's, that's what it is in sci-fi books. Like you're either going to get like the, the, the evil, you know, extraterrestrial or you're going to get the like the kind extraterrestrial and it's like trying to figure out like which one you're going to get but again it comes back like you said to the relationship building of this book and um, there's just there's so many moments where you're just your heart breaks or you're just like your adrenaline's pumping because you know Andy Ware did such a great job of creating moments I really want to read more of his now and one of the biggest surprises for me was Reading at the end on the about the author section, I thought, okay, he must have like a science degree, or he must have um, must be working in like in some sort of scientific industry, because the way he speaks about the technical details about the specifications um, of different things, you think, okay, he's working in that industry. He's not. He's a software engineer mm-hmm. who's just a massive science nerd, mm-hmm. and it was it was like, wow, the amount of research he must have done to make this so scientifically accurate is so impressive um i just couldn't believe that that he didn't even work in any of these science industries and he just did this through research and through just through looking things up yeah it's crazy because you know i just um i I had my copy of his book artemis which was his (laughs) his last book before project hail mary to pull to, to look and read his little bio in the back of the book and it's exactly what you said it's actually really kind of interesting it says he is a lifelong space nerd and a devoted hobbyist of such subjects as relativistic physics orbital mechanics and the history of uh, manu uh, of manned spacecraft but in case you wanted to know he also mixes a mean cocktail so if we ever get to meet him, he can tell us all about his space nerdiness over his cocktails. Yes, I'm really surprised that, that that sort of person didn't go into kind of a different in a, into a space related career. Yeah, went yeah. software engineer instead because he's actually a massive, massive nerd. 
Yeah. But yeah, that was just, oh, that was a fantastic read. I just could not stop stop reading it. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to, yeah, I want to read some more of his. Um, and obviously you've read Artemis and mm-hmm. The Martian. I really hope they, check, they turn that one into a, a film because that would make an absolutely fantastic film. Oh, it would. Project 100% it would. So, I would, oh, yeah, I would. Oh. <laughs> So good. Yeah, and yeah. Artemis is really good too. It's, uh, I, I would put Project Hail Mary above Artemis. Um, but yeah. I enjoyed Artemis. I never read The Martian. I've only seen the movie and the movie's good. Um, so yeah. Um, so if you haven't read it, definitely add Project Hail Mary to your, your list. Um, so I've been kind of a book mess for the, like the last, really this whole year like in january i read some good books but nothing earth shattering that i really loved february i only got through three books um right now so far march i've only finished one but i but i'm like currently reading three and it's just like i just feel like i'm all over the place right now but for me i am reading a book that um was it was just released this past week and it is called a far wilder magic um i don't have it in front of me so i'm trying to remind myself who wrote it um but it's it's actually a really really interesting um book so angela uh, shaft is is the author um it's it's a fantasy book but it's uh there's almost some like gothic kind of undertones to it it's another one of those books that i feel just has this like misty fog hanging over the setting um you know the main setting is this tiny tiny town and um you have this like um this 17 year old girl who's kind of like living in a ramshackled kind of manner in the middle of the woods just out like five miles outside of town so she has to walk five miles each way to go into this tiny town, but her, um, she, her mother's an alchemist and she's been on this like research visit for the last three months. So she's basically all by her, herself because her, you know, her, her dad left, her brother died. Um, and there's like this magical, um, creature, this, um, um, this, this magical fox that they have, um, uh, a hunt. And so the idea is that, you know, the, like during this new full moon or whatever, this is the only time it can be killed. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's really, really interesting because I like fantasies. There's that undertone of magic with it. It's like kind of a dark and gritty and like I said, kind of misty fog to it. But she meets Wes because they, when to join the hunt, you have to have the sharpshooter and you have to have an alchemist work together because it's the only way you're going to be able to kill this like magic fox, um, in essence. And so you have these two people who are like, they're like the, the polar ends of magnets. And so they're just like, they keep pushing each other away. And it's like a super slow burn, um, romance, but, uh, it's, but they're, they're, they, they're kind of experiencing the same thing. They're, you know, they have, they've lost, they have, they've experienced loss in their family. They're both, there's some elements of like religious discrimination against both of them where they're not accepted by, by the people around them. They're not accepted for who they are. Um, they don't really truly believe in their own abilities and their talents. And, you know, they have, they, you know, they're the underdogs going into this hunt. Um, and, but they're the ones who would benefit most from winning. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of like a coming of age story for these kids, overcoming the odds, you know, not letting other people's opinions of them and their discrimination, you know, change who they are. So I, I it, it's a different kind of read, but in the same kind of general area. So it's, it's been pretty good. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm a little over halfway done. So. Um, just, sorry, we have to go back to this very briefly. I did put it in the chat. Um, they are doing a film. <gasps> Project Hail Mary um, has been bought by MGM uh, back in 2020. And so the main character, Rylan Grace, is being played by none other than Ryan Gosling. If if we were like recording the video because we know we're on a Zoom chat, like my mouth is like hanging open. What? I know. I just I looked it up and I was like, oh my god, that is so exciting. So yeah, it's currently in development. (gasps) Oh my god, that's like the best news. Um, Oh my god, I can I can completely imagine him as as Ryland. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, he, he's gonna be so good. Ah, oh, oh, okay. So we have that good movie. To, we have oh, the things that are coming out now. So Liz, what are the two like two of the biggest upcoming books that we're excited about? I'm like so excited so, now. I know Holly's just like jumping up and down. <laughs> um, I mean, the first one is very soon. And it is possibly, it's not just possibly, it is the biggest release of this month, maybe even of this year. Maybe. It is, of course, The War of Two Queens. <gasps> Jennifer L. Armentrout coming out in three days, March 15th. Sadly, the hardback has been delayed, so none of us are getting the hardback, which is really sad. Damn, that so, supply chain um, issue. I have pre ordered the ebook, and Holly has pre ordered the audiobook. So we're going to do like a little e slash audio buddy buddy read heck yeah and in three days time i I can't wait i read it literally i finished the last book about two weeks ago now and as soon as i finished it i pre-ordered because it was that good the ending was so intense oh i I was literally on the edge of my seat so yeah i cannot wait and i've had to wait a year because i read the first two back to back (laughs) just before book three was released last march um and then book and i finished book three and i'm like i gotta wait a whole year so finally i'm finally here yeah i read um i think i read the first one and then i had loads of books uh that was when i suddenly had loads of book tours so i couldn't physically read the next one and the next two, I think I read pretty close together just because they were so good. Um, and I just, yeah, I had to find out what happened next. And this last one just, oh, it, I think the, the crown of Gilded Thorns so far is the best one. Uh, Gilded Bones mm-hmm. is the best one so far. Yeah. So, so I'm good. very excited for this one. And it, it is a beast. I think we said it's 654 pages. So it's, it's, Still, probably gonna take about a week. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta finish it in a week. Like I'm gonna, like I have three days to. Like I said, I'm reading three books right now, so I gotta get as much done reading as I can in the next three days because then I have a week to get through the War of Two Queens because then on March 22nd I have to start a different book. Uh, yeah, so March 22nd is um, Jessica Grey Glover's new book um, called The Braiding of Darkness. Now you might remember we had her on the show. Um, 
God, quite a few months ago now, about six, seven months ago. Yeah, I think she was like uh, at the November, September. I think I'm going for that. Yeah, maybe about September. Yeah. So yeah, about six months ago. Um, she did uh, Beast in another. Uh, another Beast, yeah, another Beast skin. Another Beast skin. That's the one. Um, and this is the sequel to that. So the Brady of the Darkness comes out March twenty second. So yeah, as Holly said, she's got a week to read. The first one <laughs> for the um, in time for this one, um, so a pretty good month to be fair, um, especially just around the corner, uh, very very close. Um, none of us are going to have a life for the next week, but it's all good. <laughs> yep, um, it's fine. Don't bother me until April. <laughs> Exactly, everything's being cancelled. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna have to take all, I'm gonna have to take a week vacation from work. Um, even though I'm just coming back from spring break, but you know, whatever. So, so yeah, those are our new and upcoming races. Oh, so we're gonna have a lot to talk about on on our April show, for sure. There is gonna be a lot to talk about. It's gonna be a busy one. So, well. Uh, Especially when we think about where these books are going to land on the the New York Times bestseller list, because you know that updates weekly. So currently, there's been there's been some some movement. So we already talked about the Paris apartment by um, by Lucy Foley. Okay. Oh, Lucy. <laughs> yeah, by Lucy Foley. Um, sorry, Lucy. I, I I know that you're a big fan of our show, so we apologize that uh, we keep. Slaughtering your name on the, on the spreadsheet just to let you guys know. That's why I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so the Paris Department by Lucy Foley entered this week at number one. Um, her, you know, the week of the release, so it's that's pretty awesome. Uh, well, when it entered last week, this week it fell to number three. Here's the thing Colleen Hoover is like. I don't know, it, like how she's maintaining the number two spot with the "It Ends with Us," but it's been number two for quite some time now. It's been on the list for 38 weeks total, um, but it's it's been sitting at number two for a long time. Um, but the current number one book is um, Tessa Bailey's "Hook, Line, and Sinker," which I think is like a rom com. Um, Based on like the, the, the picture on the cover of the book, um, which I thought was kind of impressive because I don't know necessarily that those kind of like that genre necessarily sees themselves in the number one slot. Um, but I'm not looking at the list necessarily every week. Liz, I can tell is looking it up right now. So she's going to give us an update. On... Yeah. It is a, it is a rom com. Yeah. Um, I was trying to see if, cause it does bring about, I thought it'd been, like up for some wars but it hasn't no it's a, it looks like it's a continuation from her previous yeah it's a follow-up to her previous novel which is called it happened one summer oh um it says it's another deliciously fun rom-com about a former player who accidentally falls for his best friend while trying to help her land a different man Ooh, so you got a friend's friend's lover's that's not my favorite. Like That's not my favorite trope. No, enemies to lovers is best. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Well, so those are the those are the top three. And then again, Colleen Hoover. Have you read anything by Colleen Hoover? No, I actually did buy my first Colleen Hoover, Hoover book the other day. I was at the supermarket and I bought Verity. And I have Verity too, um, and I haven't read it yet. Yeah, so that's my first one, and that one. I've got a feeling that one of the hers is also being sold the rights to for a film 
Uh, she's just, she, it's, she is so popular right now. Um, but Verity, <laughs> yeah, Verity is number four right now. And, um, she tends to have like three books, like in the top 15, um, consistently. So like, like she's, you know, and, and, and like, I, I, I'm going to read Verity. I, and I don't think I'm going to be able to ever read It Ends With Us. Just, I just, it's like the, some of the triggers that are in there are things that I just don't, I don't like to read. Um, but it's like, yeah. So, but interestingly enough, some of the books that we've been watching over the last couple of months are still there. Um, Midnight Library, like when I when I look this up, I only look at the top fifteen. I think technically the list goes to the top twenty. Um, but Midnight Library, which has been um, on in the top fifteen for for weeks and weeks and weeks, has dropped out of the top fifteen. Um, but Evelyn Hugo, have you read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo yet? No, no, not yet. Um, <laughs> it's on my it's on my TBR. <laughs> so my ever expanding, never ending. Yeah. But it's it's still sitting up pretty high at number five, um, and it's been on the on the list for 36 weeks. So it's been on the list longer than it ends with us. Oh no, it hasn't. That's been on for 38 weeks. Math again. Sorry, I can't get math right every time. But the last thing about the list that we um, we started talking about it a couple months ago, just because of how long it's been on the list. Um, but that New York or the young adult bestseller hardback books, one of us is lying is back up to number one. Like I that is just crazy to me that it's been yeah, on. This... It has just come up. It has just come out on Netflix. So yeah. that's probably boosted it up quite a bit. But yeah, that's just how many weeks has that been on the charts for? Um, it was at it was over 200. Um, it currently has been on the list for <clears throat> 214 weeks, but so it went back to number one after being displaced by Anatomy, a love, like the love story book, um, which it's now like Anatomy is now down to number 10. Um, and then one of us is lying, got back up to number one and then just now there was another book that it's knocked it to number two. Um, and it's V. E. Schwab's Gallant. It it released at number good one. About that book. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, v. E. Schwab is brilliant. Oh yeah, because Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, who I think was the her most recent super popular book. Yeah. Um, which we've both read. Um but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if Gallant can keep one of us is lying at number two for longer than a week, because I've only seen it knocked out for a week and then it's back. And then, you know, it's, but 214 weeks, like that's like four years, right? Again, I don't do math, but 52 weeks in a year. Does this count as just hardback and paperback sales, or does it count ebooks as well? This one you're like even looking at. This one I'm looking at. The category is young adult hardcover. Ah, oh, so that means we're not going to see Jennifer Almond Trout in this in the, these lists then for a while. Yeah, that'll be interesting. But you know, uh, it could very well pop up on some of the other lists because the main list yeah, that I that I look at is the combined print and ebook fiction. So that's the main Amazing. list I look at when when I kind of get this 
the section yeah. going. Um, I really want to read Anatomy Love Story. I've been seeing it all over Instagram and it looks really good. Oh, me too. I want to see it too. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, like I have it up right now. So if you're if you're thinking about like, you know, the different categories, like I always look at the combined print and ebook. Um, but if you look at just the hardback okay. fiction category, number one is still the Paris apartment. So for hardbacks. And number two is One Italian Summer, which was just released this week. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, but then you go down to like paperback trade fiction, like the paperbacks. Colleen Hoover has number one and number two with It Ends With Us and Verity. Like, <laughs> like man, she's like killing it right now. She is everywhere. You cannot avoid her. I know. She is, like, yeah, absolutely everywhere. It'd be interesting to see how things change the next few weeks. Um, see if, I mean, there's got to be a time when Colleen Hoover goes down a little bit in the rankings. <laughs> I know she's still everywhere right now. And as far as I'm aware, I don't think she has any kind of adaptations coming out soon. So um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, see what wow. happens. Wow. It's, it's, it's always fascinating to see where, where like these books land and the genres that end up in the different positions and, and who's knocking who out of the that. top spot and, I don't know. Just... I like the fact that we're seeing more thriller in the top 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's a really interesting kind of, because before you'd see a lot of contemporary fiction, you'd see your typical, your typical kind of rom-coms. Um, but it's nice about getting obviously more fantasy, i.e. V. Schwab, and then having the, the more thrillers as well. I think that's really interesting kind of turn of, turn of events. Yeah. I 100% agree. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's interesting to see like the trends, um, like, you know, like you said, with the, the thrillers and the horrors and, you know, the, you know, now we have a rom-com as number one. And, um, so yeah, so it's, you know, it's definitely interesting because I'm like looking, um, now like Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover is number nine, um, and then you have like Atlas Six. Yeah, I've seen that one. That was that one just recently came out, and that's been all over. Ah, that's a fantasy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that like that sounds really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, that one looks good too. So, all right. So, well, there you have it. So that's what's coming out. What's trending right now on the New York Times bestseller list and what we have been reading. Um, So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to dive into our classical conversation. All right. So before we talk about the New York Times bestseller list, um, I've been dying to get into what we've been reading. So Liz, what did you just finish? <laughs> so I just finished um, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. <laughs> and, oh my god, was it amazing! I it's I've actually had, had a bit of a sci-fi month. I mean, the last one I read before this was um, The Island of Doctor Moreau by H.G. Wells, so a very classic kind of sci-fi. And then I thought, okay, it's time to to go, kind of give a bit spacey sci-fi. Um, and this one Holly actually recommended to me quite a while ago now, um, a few months ago. And, oh, it just hooked me from the start. I didn't realise how much science nerdiness that I liked. I feel like I've 
kind of come full circle and embracing the science nerdiness now um because it was it's full of kind of mathematical equations it's full of like um <clears throat> talking of velocity and speed and spacecraft and space travel which was actually really interesting mm-hmm. i did not think i would enjoy it that much um but ah oh, it was so good it's definitely five sorry brief me oh. 100% i think i read i read it in like four days because i just couldn't stop reading it um and i kept on messaging holly going oh my god oh my god this happened oh my god thank please don't let this happen you know it's funny because you'd message me and i'm like <laughs> like cuz i read it like in July. So it's been a little while since I've read it. So trying to keep the order of some of the things that happened in the story straight, like I didn't want to be like, have you gotten to this scene yet? And you'd be like, no. And I'm like, oh crap. Don't want to spoil anything. Um, but oh my God, absolute five star read. Um, brilliant, brilliant book. Um, like just, you know, I don't need, you know, I think it will tug on your sci-fi strings, even if you're not a sci-fi, like, normal sci-fi reader this is realized that sci-fi could be so emotional though wow yeah. i think i cried like twice in that book but here's it the thing so that, and i think that's why the book is so successful is because it has like you said the, all the elements that you'd want in a good sci-fi book like you know trying to save the world you know this is our last you know it's project hail mary you know hail mary is like you know your last last three seconds of the game last opportunity to score like this is this is you know earth is in its 11th hour and this is the only way that we can save Mm. save the world is the space travel to this other you know dimensions not really dimension but solar system whatever to retrieve what they're what they're needing to get but you have such a human aspect of it because the book actually has those um that back and forth timeline of him in space yeah. and his time on earth leading mm-hmm. up to how did he actually get on the spaceship in the middle of like nowhere space. Um, I love that. I loved the fact they did it like a jeweled timeline. Yeah. I thought that was really clever. Um, and just before I read it, reading the back, the fact that he managed to get testimonials from some of the current biggest fancy writers. So we had, Brandon Sanderson, we had George R. R. Martin. Um, he even had a friggin' testimonial from an astronaut who said it was feasible. So the fact that he had an astronaut saying it was feasible is just, it's crazy. And you read it and thinking this, thinking this could actually happen. This isn't, this isn't fancy. This is something that he has considered and could potentially happen. Uh-huh. Which is a terrifying thought. Like some of yeah. the things that they went through is freaking terrifying. Um, well, I think one of the things I also liked about it was it wasn't like glorified. It wasn't like not everything worked yeah. out. Like, you know, no. and, and I think that makes it a little bit more realistic when, you know, it, it, it wasn't super predictable. It's not like, you know, um, everything is, you know, it, it's, it's science, it's technology, it's math. Like mm. we can, you know, it's the unknown though. So we can only do so much predicting yeah. with math and science of what we don't know. And so I really appreciated the fact that not everything went according to plan and oh, new yeah. plans and had to be. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, and sometimes that came with some really tragic results. Um, but it just, it was 
really good and the the dual timelines created the the human the human aspect of the sci-fi so the book wasn't just like all about sci-fi and technology and space you had a huge human element that was created oh yeah all about relationships and and friendships and decisions and and the consequences of our decisions i was gonna say rocky oh (laughs) i love rocky rocky is the best character ever i know oh goodness and yeah Oh, you know, and it's funny because like when I, you know, was first reading and was first and, and Rocky was first introduced, that was the one area where I'm like, this could go one of two ways. Like this could yeah, go in a really positive way or a really sci-fi <laughs> horror way, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, it was quite concerning when I first read that bit. I was like, okay, what's going to happen next? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, a lot of sci-fi, you know, and that's that's what it is in sci-fi books. Like, you're either going to get, like, the 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 evil, you know, extraterrestrial, or you're going to get the, like, yeah. the kind extraterrestrial. And it's like trying to figure out, like, which one you're going to get. But again, it comes back, like you said, to the relationship building of this book. And oh, um, there's just, there's so many moments where you're just, your heart breaks, or you're just like, your adrenaline's pumping because... You know, Andy Ware did such a great job of creating moments. I really, yeah. I really want to read more of his now. And one of the biggest surprises for me was reading at the end on the about the author section. I thought, okay, he must have like a science degree or he must have um must be working in like in some sort of scientific industry because the way he speaks about the technical details, about the specifications um of different things, you think, Okay, he's working in that industry. He's not. He's a software engineer mm-hmm. who's just a massive science nerd. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like, wow, the amount of research he must have done to make this so scientifically accurate is so impressive. Um, I just couldn't believe that that he didn't even work in any of these science industries. And he just did this through research and through, just through looking things up. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, I just um... – I had the, my copy of his book Artemis, which was his his last book before Project Hail Mary, to pull to to look and read his little bio in the back of the book, and it's exactly what you said. It's actually really kind of interesting. It says he is a lifelong space nerd and a devoted hobbyist of such subjects as relativistic physics, orbital mechanics, and the history of uh, manu uh, of manned spacecraft. But in case you wanted to know. He also mixes a mean cocktail. So if we ever get to meet him, he can tell us all about his space nerdiness over his cocktails. Yes, I'm really surprised that 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 sort of person didn't go into kind of a different, into a space-related career. Yeah. Went to software engineer instead because he's actually a massive, massive nerd. Yeah. But yeah, that was just, oh, that was a fantastic read. I just could not stop stop reading it yeah um i definitely want to yeah i want to read some more of his um and obviously you've read artemis and mm-hmm. the martian i really hope they check they turn that one into a, a film because that would make an absolutely fantastic film oh it would 100 percent, it would so i would oh yeah i would oh, <laughs> so good exactly. and artemis is really good too it's uh i i would put project hail mary above artemis um but yeah. I enjoyed Artemis. I never read The Martian. I've only seen the movie, and the movie's good. Um, so, 
yeah. Um, so if you haven't read it, definitely add Project Hail Mary to your your list. Um, so I've been kind of a book mess for the, like the last really this whole year. Like in January, I read some good books, but nothing earth shattering that I really loved. February, I only got through three books. Um, right now, so far March, I've only finished one, but I, but I'm like currently reading three and it's just like, I just feel like I'm all over the place right now. But for me, I am reading a book that, um, was, it was just released this past week and it is called A Far Wilder Magic. Um, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm trying to remind myself who wrote it. Um, but it's, it's actually a really, really interesting, um, book. So Angela uh, Shaft is, is the author. Um, it's, it's a fantasy book, but it's, uh, there's almost some like, gothic kind of undertones to it it's another one of those books that I feel just has this like misty fog hanging over the setting um you know the main setting is this tiny tiny town and um you have this like um this 17 year old girl who's kind of like living in a ramshackled kind of manner in the middle of the woods just out like five miles outside of town so she has to walk five miles each way to go into this tiny town, but her, um, she, her mother's an alchemist and she's been on this like research visit for the last three months. So she's basically all by her, herself because her, you know, her, her dad left, her brother died. Um, and there's like this magical, um, creature, this, um, um, this, this magical fox that they have, um, uh, a hunt. And so the idea is that, you know, the, like during this new full moon or whatever, this is the only time it can be killed. Um, and so it's, it's, just, it's really, really interesting because I like fantasies. There's that undertone of magic with it. It's like kind of a dark and gritty and like I said, kind of misty fog to it. But she meets Wes because they, when to join the hunt, you have to have the sharpshooter and you have to have an alchemist work together because it's the only way you're going to be able to kill this like magic fox, um, in essence. And so you have these two people who are like, they're like the, the polar ends of magnets. And so they're just like, they keep pushing each other away and it's like a super slow burn, um, romance, but, uh, it's, but they're, they're, they, they're kind of experiencing the same thing. They're, you know, they have, they've lost, they have, they've experienced loss in their family. They're both, there's some elements of like religious discrimination against both of them where they're not accepted by, by the people around them. They're not accepted for who they are. Um, they don't really truly believe in their own abilities and their talents. And, you know, they have, they, you know, they're the underdogs going into this hunt. Um, and, but they're the ones who would benefit most from winning. Um, so it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of like a coming of age story for these kids, overcoming the odds, you know, not letting other people's opinions of them and their discrimination, you know, change who they are. So I, I, it's, it's a different kind of read, but in the same kind of general area. So it's, it's been pretty good. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm a little over halfway done. So. Um, just, sorry, we have to go back to this very briefly. I did put it in the chat. Um, they are doing a film. <gasps> Project Hail Mary um, has been bought by MGM uh, back in 2020. And 
So the main character, Rylan Grace, is being played by none other than Ryan Gosling. If if we were like recording the video because we know we're on a Zoom chat, like my mouth is like hanging open. What? I know. I just I looked it up and I was like, oh my god, that is so exciting. So yeah, it's currently in development. Oh my god, that's like the best news. Um, Oh my god, I can I can completely imagine him as as Ryland. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, he, he's gonna be so good. Oh, 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 okay. So we have that good movie. To, you know, we have oh, the things that are coming out now. So Liz, what are the two like two of the biggest upcoming books that we're excited about? I'm like so excited oh. now. <laughs> I know Holly's just like jumping up. And down <laughs> I <know>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the first one is very soon. And it is possibly, it's not just possibly, it is the biggest release of this month, maybe even of this year. Maybe. It is, of course, The War of Two Queens. <gasps> Jennifer L. Armentrout coming out in three days, March 15th. Sadly, the hardback has been delayed, so none of us are getting the hardback, which is really sad. Damn, that so, supply chain um, issue. I have pre ordered the ebook, and Holly has pre ordered the audiobook. So we're going to do like a little. E slash audio buddy buddy read. Heck yeah. And in three days time. Oh, I, I can't so excited. wait. I read it literally. I finished the last book about two weeks ago now. And as soon as I finished it, I pre-ordered because it was that good. The ending was so intense. I know. Oh, I, I was literally on the edge of my seat. So yeah, I cannot wait. And I've had to wait a year because I read the first two back to back (laughs) just before book three was released last March. Um, and then book, and then I finished book three and I'm like, I gotta wait a whole year. So finally, I'm finally here. Yeah, I read, um, I think I read the first one and then I had loads of books. Uh, that was when I suddenly had loads of book tours. So I couldn't physically read the next one. And the next two, I think I read pretty close together just because they were so good. Um, and I just, yeah, I had to find out what happened next. And this last one just, oh, it, I think the, the crown of Gilded Thorns so far is the best one. Uh, Gilded Bones mm-hmm. is the best one so far. Yeah. So, so I'm good. very excited for this one. And it, it is a beast. I think we said it's 654 pages. So it's, it's, Still, probably gonna take about a week. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta finish it in a week. Like I'm gonna, like I have three days to. Like I said, I'm reading three books right now, so I gotta get as much done reading as I can in the next three days because then I have a week to get through the War of Two Queens because then on March 22nd I have to start a different book. Uh, yeah, so March 22nd is um, Jessica Grey Glover's new book um, called The Braiding of Darkness. Now you might remember we had her on the show. Um, God, quite a few months ago now, about six, seven months ago. I think she was like, uh, at the November, September. I think it might be before that. Yeah, maybe about September. Yeah. So yeah, about six months ago. Um, she did, uh, Beast in another, uh, another beast. Yeah, another beast skin. Another beast skin. That's the one. Um, and this is the sequel to that. So the Brady of the Darkness comes out March 22nd. So yeah, as Holly said, she's got a week to read. The first one <laughs> for the um, in time for this one, um, so a pretty good month to be fair. Um, especially just around the corner, uh, very very close. Um, none of us are going to have a life for the next week. 
but it's all good. <laughs> yep. Um, it's fine. Don't bother me until April. <laughs> Exactly, everything's being cancelled. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna have to take off. I'm gonna have to take a week vacation from work, um, even though I'm just coming back from spring break. But you know, whatever. So, so yeah, those are our new and upcoming races. Oh, so we're gonna have a lot to talk about on on our April show, for sure. There is gonna be a lot to talk about. It's gonna be a busy one. So, well. Uh, Especially when we think about where these books are going to land on the the New York Times bestseller list, because you know that updates weekly. So currently, there's been there's been some some movement. So we already talked about the Paris apartment by um, by Lucy Foley. Okay. I was Lucy. <laughs> yeah, by Lucy Foley. Um, sorry, Lucy. I, I I know that you're a big fan of our show, so we apologize that uh, we keep. Slaughtering your name on the, on the spreadsheet, just let you guys know. That's why I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so the Paris Department by Lucy Foley entered this week at number one. Um, her, you know, the week of the release, so it's that's pretty awesome. Uh, well, when it entered last week, this week it fell to number three. Here's the thing, Colleen Hoover is like. I don't know, it, like how she's maintaining the number two spot with the "It Ends with Us," but it's been number two for quite some time now. It's been on the list for 38 weeks total, um, but it's it's been sitting at number two for a long time. Um, but the current number one book is um, Tessa Bailey's "Hook, Line, and Sinker," which I think is like a rom com. Um, Based on like the, the, the picture on the cover of the book, um, which I thought was kind of impressive because I don't know necessarily that those kind of like that genre necessarily sees themselves in the number one slot. Um, but I'm not looking at the list necessarily every week. Liz, I can tell is looking it up right now. So she's going to give us an update. On... Yeah. It is a, it is a rom com. Yeah. Um, I was trying to see if, cause it does bring about, I thought it'd been, like up for some wars but it hasn't no it's a, it looks like it's a continuation from her previous yeah it's a follow-up to her previous novel which is called it happened one summer oh um it says another deliciously fun rom-com about a former player who accidentally falls for his best friend while trying to help her land a different man Ooh, so you got a friend's friend's lovers that's not my favorite. Like That's not my favorite trope. No, enemies to lovers is best. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Well, so those are the those are the top three. And then again, Colleen Hoover. Have you read anything by Colleen Hoover? No, I actually did buy my first Colleen Hoover, Hoover book the other day. I was at supermarket and I bought Verity. And I have Verity too, um, and I haven't read it yet. Yeah, so that's my first one, and that one. I've got a feeling that one of the hers is also being sold the rights to for a film she's just she it's she is so popular right now um but verity (laughs) yeah verity is number four right now and um she tends to have like three books like in the top 15 um consistently so like like she's you know, and, and, and like I, I I'm going to read Verity. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to ever read It Ends With Us. Just I just like the, some of the triggers that are in there are, are things that I just don't I don't like to read. Um, but it's like we need to read Verity. Yeah. So, but 
interestingly enough, some of the books that we've been watching over the last couple of months are still there. Um, Midnight Library, like when I when I look this up, I only look at the top 15. I think technically the list goes to the top 20. Um, but Midnight Library, which has been um, on in the top 15 for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, has dropped out of the top 15. Um, but Evelyn Hugo, have you read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo yet? No, no, not yet. Um, <laughs> it's on my it's on my TBI. <laughs> so my ever expanding, never ending. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's still sitting up pretty high at number five, um, and it's been on the on the list for thirty six weeks. So it's been on the list longer than it ends with us. Oh no, it hasn't. That's been on for thirty eight weeks. Math again. Sorry, I can't get math right every time. But the last thing about the list that we um, we started talking about it a couple months ago just because of how long it's been on the list. Um, but that New York or the young adult bestseller hardback books, One of Us is Lying is back up to number one. Like I that is just crazy to me that it's been yeah, on this. It has just come up. It has just come out on Netflix. So yeah, that's probably boosted it up quite a bit. But yeah, that's just. How many weeks has that been on the charts for? Um, it was at it was over two hundred. Um, it currently has been on the list for <clears throat> two hundred and fourteen weeks. But so it went back to number one after being displaced by Anatomy, loves like the love story book, um, which it's now like Anatomy is now down to number ten. Um, and then one of us is lying, got back up to number one. And then just now there was another book that it's knocked it to number two. Um, and it's V.E. Schwab's Gallant. It, it released at number one. About that book. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, V.E. Schwab is brilliant. Oh, yeah. Because Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, what I think was the, her most recent super popular book, yeah. um, which we've both read. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if Gallant can keep one of us is lying at number two for longer than a week because I've only seen it knocked out yeah. for a week and then it's back and then you know it's but two hundred and fourteen weeks like that's like four years right again I don't do math but fifty two weeks and in a year the, does this count as just hardback? And paperback sales, or does it count ebooks as well? This one you're looking, you've been looking at. This one I'm looking at. The category is young adult hardcover. Ah, oh, so that means we're not going to see Jennifer Almond Trout in this in the, these lists then for a while. Yeah, that'll be interesting. But you know, uh, it could very well pop up on some of the other lists because the main list yeah, that I that I look at is the combined print and ebook fiction. So that's the main mm-hmm. list I look at when when I kind of get this this section yeah. going. Um, I really want to read Anatomy Love Story. I've been seeing it all over Instagram, and it looks really good. Oh, me too. I want to see it too. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, like I have it up right now. So if you're if you're thinking about like you know the different categories, like I always look at the combined print and ebook. Um, but if you look at just the hardback mm-hmm. fiction category, number one is still the Paris Apartment. So for hardbacks. And number two is One Italian Summer, which was just released this week. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, but then you go down to like paperback trade fiction, like the paperbacks. 
Colleen Hoover has number one and number two with It Ends With Us and Verity. Like, <laughs> like man, she's, like, killing it right now. She is everywhere. You cannot avoid her. I know. She's, like, yeah, absolutely everywhere. It'd be interesting to see how things change the next few weeks. Um, see if, I mean, there's got to be a time when Colleen Hoover goes down a little bit in the rankings. <laughs> I know she's still everywhere right now. And as far as I'm aware, I don't think she has any kind of adaptations coming out soon. So um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see, see what wow. happens. Wow. It's, it's, it's always fascinating to see where, where like these books land and the genres that end up in the different positions and, and who's knocking who out of the that. top spot. And I don't know. It's just... I like the fact that we're seeing more thriller in the top 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's a really interesting kind of, because before you'd see a lot of contemporary fiction, you'd see your typical, your typical kind of rom-coms. Um, but it's nice about getting obviously more fantasy, i.e. V. Schwab, and then having the, the more thrillers as well. I think that's a really interesting kind of turn of, turn of events. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's interesting to see like the trends, mm-hmm. um, like you know, like you said with the the thrillers and the horrors and you know the you know now we have a rom-com is number one and um so yeah so it's you know it's definitely interesting because i'm like looking um now like ugly love by colleen hoover is number nine um and then you have like Atlas Six, yeah, I've seen that one. That was that one just recently came out, and that's been all over. Ah, that's a fantasy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that like that sounds really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, that one looks good too. So, all right, so well, there you have it. So that's what's coming out, what's trending right now on the New York Times bestseller list, and what we have been reading. Um, so we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna dive into our classical conversation. All right. Classics. What do you think? You said it was so much disdain. She's <laughs> <laughs> like classics. The classics. Yeah, they're 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 not they're not my favorite. But there's there's something that we can't avoid because they are such a big part of of our history as our as a reader. It, whether we like them, whether we don't like them, it's something that we've all read at least a few of them because we've been forced to at school. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about classics, what would you say are the criteria that would label a book as a classic? So I think it can be it can be very subjective at times, mm-hmm. but I think other times when we talk about old classics, so kind of like the Romantic era, I don't think it's as subjective. I think it's more of a more of a given. Yeah, you know, and, and I agree. Like, I think there's a difference between modern classics and like your literary older classics that you know we we've grown up with in school. Um, but I do think it's 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 more subjective with the modern classics. But I I, I think for me, when it comes to classics, I think it's uh, <clears throat> it really part of it comes down with like the 
the stylistic writing like the the like a lot of them have a very I don't necessarily want to say poetic style of writing but there's just there's like the the writing kind of helps present that that life lesson like I think the morals and the themes of classic books are are more evident and they're just they're they're more like always you know pertinent to to the time whether it's like the 1800s or you know 2022 the the moral and the theme is is still applicable kind of thing i think that's that's one of the things i think is important in a classic yeah i get what you mean i mean i think poetical is is almost it's almost right it's almost like a a melodic kind of feel to it um obviously with things like shakespeare shakespeare had the um iambic pentameter in Mm -hmm. which most of his poems were written in and even in some of his plays it was written in that same that same pentameter and a lot of the the literary classics do have the same kind of not theme but the same pacing the same kind of style of writing um which obviously is very different from today's language just because of the evolution that we've seen in languages and the fact that now we have things like slang and we have different a lot more dialects and a lot, a lot more um just a lot more kind of variations and accents uh than we would see in literature back then when we'd see very kind of i guess mostly especially when it came to the romantic um era we saw mostly rich households we saw the 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 mr darcy's and the um and the the regency the regents um which had their own style and i mean when it comes to those those were very much kind of they are literary classics but i know you don't like them but you can't deny that they are important an important part of our our society to understand kind of language and to understand how we've changed and how we've how we've evolved um when it comes to reading absolutely 100 percent um you know, and I was a literature teacher for years, so I've taught a lot of classics. Uh, and they're the, the styles, like the, the writing styles, how we've evolved, uh, how our language has evolved, how our writing styles have evolved. Um, but not only that, but the, the moments that are captured on the pages of these books that were written um, in during the, during time periods that have changed our world. Um, Like to kill a mockingbird. I think one of the, the the most poignant points of that book is the discrimination and the civil rights movement. And um, you know, so you have these books that, you know, the great Gatsby written in the 1920s, you see that, that era of like, you know, the flappers and speakeasies and just like it's 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 a way to capture those those moments in history that we will never be able to experience but we can because the power of the word you know is is so descriptive and i think that's part of these these classical classical novels not modern ones but the classical ones really do focus on descriptive writing like there's just there's so much imagery and power to the words and the the word choice is chosen so specifically to really develop 
you know, Mm -hmm. that era, that time period. And I think that's what creates that, that um, timelessness, like where, you know, there were sometimes because the wording and the style and the structure is so different because that's how it was in that time. It's hard sometimes for us to be able to connect and relate to yeah. the writing style. But if you can get past some of that writing style and dig into what is actually happening, you can really connect to it because it's, 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 it, it really focuses on just a snapshot, a, a time capsule per se of, of when it was written. Definitely. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but um, kind of going back to the whole connecting with the with the reader, I think back in the sort of classical literature era, they had a bigger emphasis on storytelling. It was more about telling the story rather than necessarily making a conscious effort to connect the reader, just because a lot of them were, if you look at the social classes, if you look at um, the kind of the relationships between the characters. I mean, some of the books, most of the characters are pretentious and awful, um, but it's an interesting story. They tell a really interesting story. So I think in my kind of eyes, I see that they did do a lot more storytelling back then. They focused on the, the that rather than focusing on kind of the writer's relationship with the reader. I want, yeah, I absolutely agree. 100% agree. Um, so, you know, there's like being in education, at least here in like, the United States, I don't know exactly how the education system works, you know, in England, <clears throat> but I know that there is, um, there's been, de- there's, I mean, there's always going to be debate about the books that are taught in school, whether it's, you know, oh, this book should be banned and censored versus, <laughs> oh, why are you teaching our modern day, technologically advanced teenagers books from, you know, the 1700s? They can't relate to it. They can't connect mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I think that's always, you know, been kind of a, uh, like a talking point, not necessarily a controversial one, but definitely a talking point as to you know our youth where you know our youth is who is introduced to classics like it's in it's in school that we begin kind of force feeding classics like you know I might feel different about classics if I had the ability on my own to choose what I wanted to read versus you are going to this grade now, you're in this level of schooling and here's the book you're forced to read yeah. this year um, and, and write a report on. Um, but it's, do, do what do you think about that? You know, is it, is it think- still super important that we're teaching our, our youth now books like, the Great Gatsby, like Withering Heights, you know. I think it is still important because it is such a big part of literature. Um, you can't teach English literature without showing them some of the, the greatest kind of classical literature pieces. And I do agree to some extent that obviously I think it does alienate some people by having it forced upon them. But also uh, in some respects, I think, by studying at school, it helps you to kind of have that grounding knowledge um, of the language because the language is so, so much different from the books that we read today. Mm-hmm. It can be, if you go back and remember the first classic book you read, 
it was probably really confusing. It was probably very hard to kind of get your head around because everything was so different from the words used to the syntax to the vocabulary. It was a very different world. But by studying at school, it helps to kind of understand um, not only what they're saying, but also to understand things like the class system about what it was like back then when it comes to religion and family and values. So I think in some ways, for some people, it probably put them off. Um, and I mean, I think some of the ones I read at school, I wouldn't read again just because obviously we studied it to death and you would basically analyze almost every paragraph to the point where it does kind of ruin it a bit for you. But at the same time, it made me want to read more um, as an adult and to really appreciate it in my own time at my own speed. Um, and I had that base, that grounding knowledge from studying it. Um, what do you, what's your, your opinions on that? I agree a lot with what you said. I think it is important. Um, uh, because it, it does, you know, I think just the exposure to it is, is good. It helps create well-rounded people. Um, it's hard because I also see the other side of it. I see the kids that are not readers that are only taking this English literature class because they have to have the credit to graduate so they can be done with school. Um, and, or students who are struggling readers and are reading below grade level and are still forced to read, you know, um, something that is just really hard for them. And then it dis- it disheartens them. Um, I, I, I do agree with the whole analyzing every single paragraph on every single page <laughs> is overkill. Um, I think that, you know, when we're teaching these classics in school, I think it's important that they remain in our schools. I think it's important that our students are exposed to them. But I also think it's the teacher's responsibility to know their students and to know how to approach the book with the students. Like sometimes I don't think you need to read the entire book from cover to cover to expose a student to the the all of the things, the syntax, the style, the time period, like all of those things. Um, one, you don't want to spend the whole entire school year teaching one book, um, you know, and, you know, and if, you know, you also don't want to give up your entire class time reading because then you're never going to talk about it because you're going to spend you know, 50 minutes of your class period reading. Okay, well, we'll pick up with chapter two tomorrow when we see you. <laughs> yeah. Because here's the thing. Our, 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 our youth is different today, even than they were two years ago before COVID-19 hit and everything shut down. Um, you know, if you tell the students, go home and read chapter two, we're going to work with it in class tomorrow. Your high flying, high achieving students are going to go home and they're going to read it. But for the other 80% of the students, they're not reading it. They're not going to go home and read it. They're, they're working because their parents still haven't gotten jobs back from after COVID or they have siblings that they've got to watch or, you know, whatever. They're, they're not going home and reading it. So then they come back to school the next day and you have, you know, those five or six kids in class that did and they're ready to go. But then you have 20 kids who didn't. And now you're like, as a teacher, you're pissed because you're like, why didn't you guys read? 
But again, some of those kids may be struggling readers and they, and it would have taken them three hours on their own to read it and they, you know, they can't comprehend it. So I think that we have to expose our students to it. We have to expose our youth to it, but I think we have to do it in a way that is meeting the needs of the kids so that we don't tarnish their their opinion of classics that we don't you know impact them as readers in the future it's just it's the same thing as like you know you would never say in front of a kid like in front of a kid oh you're a struggling reader that kid's never gonna they're they're gonna view themselves as struggling reader their entire life yeah and it's just like you know you can do such damage um when it comes to trying to instill love of reading in the youth like it's really quick to do that damage. And I think it's like, I think it's a fine line, an important line to include, but still, I think it's, I don't know. And I think you got to be smart in what, what classics you're choosing. Like I wouldn't choose crime and punishment (laughs) to read with my students. Yeah. I think that would be kind of university. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So here's a question. Um, Obviously you're not a major fan of the, the classic literature. So kind of the back in the 1800s, 1700s kind of literature, you have two children of your own. Do you encourage them to read the classics or do you kind of have you not really talked to them much about it? <laughs> um, so, no, I don't. For my, my 16-year-old, I just want him to read. Um, because he is, he is the kid who his second grade teacher in front of him said, you're a struggling reader. Yeah. So to this day, he's almost 16. You know, he, uh, he'll graduate high school in two years. Um, he doesn't like reading. He, he, he will when he has to. Um, uh, it helps if I give him the book and the audio so he can so he can read the audio or he can read the book while listening to the audio. And honestly, <clears throat> with kids, I love that. I love having kids read along while they listen to it because when you see those really hard words, they learn. They learn vocabulary. Yeah, they learn how to Yeah. That's and really good. Yeah. And so, um, and, and so, and my son will, he'll, he'll do that. Um, but he'll put it off. Um, my daughter, she's a finicky reader. Like she likes to read, um, <laughs> but she's she's very particular. And you know, and they're they're still getting you know classical books. Um, my son this year just they just read The Alchemist. Um, so oh, wow. yeah, and he and they just did Oed- uh, Oedipus and Oedipus Rex. Um, so the only thing I kept talking about, I'm like, oh, did you get to the part where they gouge their eyes out? He gouges his eyes out yet? And he's like, thanks for the spoiler. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't know that before you started reading it. Everybody knows Oedipus gouges his eyes out. Um, so, and he's getting ready now to read Macbeth. That's what they're going to read at the end. Oh, fantastic. At the end of the year, they'll, they'll finish out with that. Um, but like for my daughter, it's the same thing. Like she'll get some of these books in school. Um, so it's, I try to more talk about the books they're reading 
when they're reading them. Um, yeah. Like my daughter, their class just finished reading The Outsiders, and which we'll talk about. I'll, I'll talk about it in, in a minute or two. Um, and so she just finished reading that with her class, and they watched the movie. And I loved it. When I taught her grade level years ago, I used to teach The Outsiders to my students. And, um, and, and so being able to kind of talk to her a little bit about like other books that are similar to it um like the whole Romeo and Juliet West Side Story kind of connect like the loose connections there and just um so I try I like I'm not like I don't like oh you should read The Great Gatsby (laughs) um or you know you know whatever it's I just I just encourage them to read in general and then you know I I have those literary conversations with them when we talk about what are you doing in school so I think that's such a good idea though having the especially when they're learning to read and as a child and even as a teenager I think it's such a good idea to do the audiobook and then read along at the same time because I'm sure I went years at a time of not knowing how certain words were pronounced because I am very much I've been ever since I was a little kid I've been very much a reading in my head Mm -hmm. but like at school, you were told you have to, like you should read aloud, but I rarely did that. I was a complete read in my head person. Um, so I would go over these words and just make up in my head <laughs> what they sounded like. So I went years, um, and then when somebody suddenly somebody said like that word, I was like, oh, that's how it's said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same thing with I'm like sure character names. Like you know, there's yeah. some oh, really weird yeah. names that authors come up with, and you're like what Mm -hmm. and then you hear like an audio or you hear someone like speak it and you're like oh (laughs) that's not what I came (laughs) up with yeah but it's also good for like like slow readers like you know I don't have a lot of time to read I do a lot of audiobooks because I spend a lot of time in my car chauffeuring my children around but but at the same time I'm not a super fast reader Um, I'm a good reader and I love to read but I'm not a super fast speed reader. So a lot of times the audios will help me get through um, more yeah. books that I would, than I would be able to if I was always reading. Cause typically I always have like a tangible physical book. I usually always have an ebook that I'm reading and then I have an audio. So I usually always have yeah. three books going at once just because of, you know, where I'm at and I have a moment what I can, what I can read. Um, but I, I really do. I can't value enough the audios because, um, and I was, I was like my son, I was a struggling reader too. I remember being in third grade. I actually got, my class got changed. So I was put down uh, to a lower level, level in class because I struggled reading. But here's the thing, like, and this is what we don't necessarily think about. I had, um, I had, I had, I had a challenging childhood. I had some trauma in my childhood and part of what happened is I lost almost a year of education. Like, like I lost almost a year of progress. So my, I was reading below grade level. I was doing math below grade level. I'm still doing math below grade level, but I laugh about that now because it's math. Um, but with reading, like I, I, it, it really struggled me. And I remember right before my class got changed and I got dropped to a lower, a lower class. Um, we were, we all had to read out loud. And, you know, I remember at the end of the, at the end of the day, the teacher said, if you did not read today, you're reading tomorrow. And I sat there and I looked 
at the because you'd read a paragraph at a time. So I remember sitting there and at looking at every single paragraph that was coming. Like I, there was like ten kids that still had to read, and I was one of them. So I looked at the next ten paragraphs to see if I was going to be okay when I got called on to have to read these out loud because. And and I see this today, the anxiety of reading out loud, it it, it is tremendous because it, kids are scared yeah. because they're scared of making mistakes. They're scared of not knowing it. They're scared of, of admitting their, their inability to, to do things. And I, I like, I went home crying and I'm like, like I could not do this. And I, I'm like, there's no way I can read out loud to my class. And so the next day my mom took me to school and we got things changed and I got dropped down a level. And then for like the rest of that year and all summer, like my teacher worked with me, my mom worked with me at home. And I was able oh. to, when I started the, the fourth grade, I was back to reading on level. Um, but it was a lot of work. And so yeah. as much as we talk about how important and, and wonderful and, and how excited we get about reading, for some people, reading is really scary. Oh, yeah. so, I know that's a complete separate tangent. We just went <laughs> off of classics. But, no, that's like the third one today. <laughs> exactly. But when you think about it, classics tend to have a like an elevated vernacular. Like the, the, the vocabulary used in classics tends to be mm-hmm. a little bit more difficult than modern language. Oh, no, completely. And I think, I don't know about your, your education over there, but we don't tend to properly go into the classics until, um, until we're 13 and above. Mm-hmm. That's because, probably about where we that are. makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, any younger and you, you wouldn't understand it. It would be way too difficult to really comprehend because before 13, you're still, you're still learning to read as such. You're still developing your vocabulary and developing your, um, just normal reading, let alone classic reading. So I think it's right that they bring it in when it, when they do. So do they bring it in for, on secondary school? And um, would you have to say 13 to 16? Um, cause it is, a, yeah, it's a completely other level of, of language. Mm. Uh, it's such a different, everything about it is very different from the modern books that you'd read today. And, I mean, even if, like, for example, some of the books that, some of the classics I don't particularly like, I don't like the, maybe the characters or the story, but I can still appreciate the writing style just because it, it, as you said before, it does have that kind of, almost like a certain beauty to it. The whole, the way that they used to describe things, the, the tone and the pacing, it was just, it fl- felt like it flowed at times better than a lot of modern novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. For sure. And it's funny because like you're talking about like some of our, the modern classics. Um, there's like a million lists out there that you can Google about classics you must read before college, classics you must read before you die, classics you must read before you're 35, 45, 50, whatever. Like there's a million different lists out there. But what's interesting is some of those lists are beginning to include books that have been published in the last um, you know, 20 years and 30 years. It's, it's, it's kind of sad to think that like, you know, the 1980s and 1990s were like 30 and 40 years ago, but that's a whole nother story. I know. (laughs) But, but you'll see like Harry, like Harry Potter, number one, the, the first Harry Potter book is on so many of these lists. And I think when you're looking at 
what we talked about, what makes a classic, Harry Potter falls into. It is the, the timelessness of it, the, the, the story that's being told, um, like be the relatability of it. Like it's just, it never loses its power. Um, but we'll also see things like Alice in Wonderland. Like I don't know necessarily that I would, like in my mind, I don't think Alice in Wonderland as a classic because I think of things like Pride and Prejudice, To Kill a Mockingbird, 1984. Like yeah. those are what I consider. But then you have Lord of the Rings. That's like on those lists. You have Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is on a classic reading list. And it's just like it makes you wonder, huh, what exactly? Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, Alice in Wonderland, I just looked it up, was first published in 1865. Oh, isn't that insane? 1864, rather. Yeah, so it's a long time ago. I mean, some of the ones, I think there is, I mean, I would say, I was going to say that there is kind of a, a clear difference between modern and a classic classic. Let's just call it a classic Exactly. Classic. And how else do you describe it? It's a classic <laughs> um, classic. But at the same time, there is that time in the middle where it kind of overlaps a bit where you think, okay, is this more modern or is this more classic classic? But I think most of the time there is a very kind of distinguishable line between the two different different types of, of classic. I agree. Absolutely. I mean, like some of the – I guess a lot of the books that we we studied at school would be classed as, as classics mm-hmm. or modern classics because, for example, we studied um, Captain Crowley's Mandolin by Louis de Berniers, um, and another one called Holes, which is also a film, which I'm not quite sure whether that's really a classic, but now. Holes um, as in like the, like the, the, the story of the boys that go to like the, the camp and have to dig up holes for like the warden because the warden's trying to find like, okay, well, see, so see, so that's, that's a book that's taught at our younger grades, like, like, you know, our, like maybe like, eight, nine, ten-year-old classes read those books. Um, we studied that at 13. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, you know. I, we, like, compared and contrasted the film and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So probably a little bit more in depth. Yeah. But, um, no, um, I forgot where I was going with this now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just, I got a little distracted. So the, the, the stories that we read in, that you read well, in school. Also, um, I also read that, one of the writers who uh, they started studying at school and university is Terry Pratchett. And I completely agree. I mean, I think Terry Pratchett will become a classic just because his stories, again, are timeless. They're relatable. I mean, they've already been going for 20 years, Mm -hmm. 20, 25 years. So I think that will be another kind of big classic that, that we'll see in the future becoming a, a modern classic. And I think, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think it's, it's what books will become classics or modern classics and remain that way are the books whose stories and lessons will never change. They'll, you know, like Harry Potter, like people are like, that's a classic. Well, yeah, because friendship and, you know, like overcoming obstacles and challenges and believing yourself and, all of those things, like you, no matter what's happening in our world or how our world changes, yeah. those those themes will always be important and they'll always be relevant. And, you know, but so there's so many lists out there 
So Penguin Random House created a list um, of, of classic must-reads that was based on readers, on readers' responses. So they compiled the top 100 based on what what readers believe are the classical must-reads. Um, and this list is only a year old. It came out in February of 2021. So we're we're looking at we're going to look at just the top ten. We don't our show's already running long, so we don't have time to talk about a hundred classics. So Liz, will you go in? Let's go reverse order. The top ten from ten to one of the the what the the mo, the must reads are. So the so start with ten and go to one. Okay, at number ten is Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. Let's see if I can remember the, the author. <laughs> Number nine is Jaina by one of the Brontes. I want to say, do I want to say Charlotte Bronte? No, no. It wasn't Charlotte Bronte, was it? I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, number eight. Uh, no, number seven, sorry. Uh, no, number eight. No, right? Um, <laughs> see, you're not good at math either. <laughs> it's <so many> <laughs> I, I know they are. Is I Capture the Castle. I have no idea who that's by because I've never read it. Um, do you know the author of that one? I don't. Without looking. Uh, number seven is Brave New World, and that's by Aldous Huxley. Uh, number six is Wide Sargasso Sea. Uh, that's by Jean something. I can't remember the person's name. I've never even heard of that um, one. It's really good. It's uh, it's based on Jane Eyre. It's oh. like a... A follow-up to Jane Eyre um, about the crazy about Mrs. Rochester, the crazy lady in the loft. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, number five is In Cold Blood. Again, I have no idea who the author is. I've never read it. Isn't that Truman Capote? I have no idea. I've it's never read it. Truman Capote. Uh, number four is Hundred Years of Solitude, which is by Gabriel uh, Gabriel. Montez, I can't, it's a Portuguese Brazilian name. Um, I've read that one, let's skip it. <laughs> Number three is The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald, yep. That's the one. I want to say Ella, but Ella's a singer, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, number two is To Kill a Mockingbird. Can't remember the author. Oh my. Come on, you, you oh, know this. Oh. I am... Oh. Times. I have read this book a million times. Oh, um, um, Harper, Harper Lee. That's the one. Um, I haven't actually read that. I saw, I saw the play. <laughs> um, and number one is, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. This is probably one of the biggest classics, um, which anyone will say, which is Pride and Prejudice. And that is by Jane Austen, if I remember rightly. Oh, no. Oh, my God, why don't I? I've never read it. I can't believe you've read that. I know. It's it's literally one of the most classic ones. And I'm trying to, it's not Jane Austen, is it? It is, my mind is just going completely blank today. Okay, so while you're thinking Um, about it, I'm going to distract you. So out of the top ten, how many have you read? I read six. I've read three. Yes. I know. Like I've only read To Kill a Mockingbird at number two, The Great Gatsby at number Mm -hmm. three, and A Brave New World at um number seven. I've read Pride and Prejudice, The Great Gatsby, Hundred Years of Solitude, uh Wide Sarcastic Sea, 
uh, Brave New World and Jane Eyre, I did it at school, like to death. I don't think I'd want to read that one again. Because it, it spends like a whole chapter just describing her looking at, looking at herself in the mirror. She's a very pretentious kind of spoiled yeah. young female. And it's just one of those. Great Gatsby, I, this is what, this is what I was on about with the whole storytelling. Great Gatsby, I found that it was a good story, but all of the characters were just pretentious asses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was nobody relatable in that. That you couldn't empathize or connect with any of those characters, which is kind of part of the reason why I say that they did definitely focus more on character development, uh, on story development back in kind of that era. Yeah. I would agree. Gates, I mean, I enjoyed The Great Gatsby, um, just because I liked the, the flair of it. Um, I like the setting and I mm-hmm. like the kind of t- time periods. Um, and yeah, the story is good, but yeah, the characters, I just, yeah. I will say Leonardo DiCaprio did play a great Gatsby. I need to watch that. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> yeah, that's on my, that's on my, my to be watched list, uh, which is probably almost as big. It's not quite as big as a book list. But. Yeah, I understand that. All right. So, <laughs> so we also then, so we looked at this, this Penguin Random House list and then we each created our top five must reads. Um, so, Liz, share your top your top five must reads. So your your list of classics that you think everyone must read. Now these are classic classics. I don't think I don't think either one of us included like modern classics on it. You go you go for a modern classic. Um. Uh, well, but mine you also appeared on the movie. Random House list. So the Penguin Random House had that one on there. <laughs> So, so I felt okay putting it on there. It's like 50 years old. Um, It's from the 60s. The uh, the 60s is now like 60 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So how old does a classic classic have to be? I reckon about 100 years. What? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Make make them a centenary. Um, okay, so this isn't in any order because I hate doing things in order and kind of deciding what goes first. So in no particular order, uh, my kind of recommendations, classics, are Wuthering Heights, Portrait of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, 1984 by George Orwell, Pride and Prejudice, and Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Okay, so why why are those your list? I, they all have a really kind of interesting story. Like, for example, Portrait of Dorian Gray was not only a really good story, but it was just such a fascinating read because Oscar Wilde is, was rather, uh, was a homosexual living in an era where homosexuality was forbidden. It was something that you could end up in jail for, and he did end up in jail for it. And you can tell that at times he's trying to hide it in the book, but at the same time, the way he describes Dorian Gray, um, he's a male, is very, in a, is a very sexual nature. Um, and it's just such a fascinating story. It's almost got like a kind of supernatural edge to it. Um, I mean, 1984 is just an absolute classic and scarily accurate. It's almost like a, it's almost a futuristic kind of, um, prediction of what would happen back in, 
didn't he write it in the 60s i want to say 50s before that uh, I'm, I'm actually looking them up because when I go to my list, I want to talk about the years my books were published, Miss 100 Years. <laughs> um, 1984 was published in 1949. There we go, yeah. So, I mean, the amount of parallels that we've got with today's society in that book is quite terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, the other ones, they're just really good stories set in a great time period. Tale of Cities is set in, um, in Victorian London, which I always find a really interesting setting just because it's just such a fascinating part of history. Um, Wuthering Heights especially has got really interesting because it's not your typical period drama. It's got very kind of complex characters, whereas most period dramas are very, they're very black and white characters. What you see is what you get basically. But with Wuthering Heights, I feel like they've got a lot more depth to them and a lot more kind of issues and insecurities, which really brings them to life more. So, yeah, and I think most of mine, I think all of mine must be over 100 years old, just saying. Uh, <laughs> no, 1984 <laughs> is not. Except not. <laughs> all the rest of them are. <laughs> all right. I'm going to look up the rest of them when we're done here. All right, so my list, again, just like you, in no particular order, are is, so my top five must-read classics are To Kill a Mockingbird, The Count of Monte Cristo, Lord of the Flies, 1984, that's the only one we share, we both, we, we both share 1984, and then my last one is The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, which I just want to point out, Liz had no idea what that book is, and just so you know... <laughs> It is number 48 on the Random Penguin House list. Um, so it made their list. And I just want to also point out that that's a, 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 a UK list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I will make sure that Liz will read um, The Outsider soon. Um, so that, that's my top five list. Now, I looked up, just now looked up the publishing dates for these books. So To Kill a Mockingbird, which is a classic. We, I think we consider that a classic classic. Oh, yeah, that one's like not 100 years old. <laughs> no. It first was published July 11th of 1960. Yep. Then you have The Lord of the Flies, which I love that. William Golding, I think, did a great job. And I saw uh, like a little... Uh, documentary interview with him on like why he wrote that book and why he chose that book to revolve around a group of, of school age boys versus adults or a heterogeneous mix of kids. Um, and I just, I, and I know a lot of like this, like I think all classics people either like them or hate them. I love this book um, just for the, just the, the psychological, like, effects that happen um and it's funny because in the in the fall this past fall i read a book called fantastic land by michael uh, brickoven brockoven um which i know (laughs) very very (laughs) similar to lord of the flies except with adults that are trapped after like a hurricane like strands them in like uh kind of like an amusement park um but it just like the the animalistic 
grouping that takes place in those types of situations, I think is interesting. That book, Lord of the Flies, is actually older than To Kill a Mockingbird. Lord of the Flies was published in 1954. <laughs> um, to Kill a Mockingbird, we don't really need to talk about. Count of Monte, the Count of Monte Cristo, it's older. It, I think it's from the 1800s, but such, such a great, great book. If you're looking for a book with a lot of what is happening, that's a great book. You have like Edmund Dantes, who's the main character, who is also the Count of Monte Cristo. He also takes on about 15 to 20 other aliases throughout the book to seek his revenge. Um, it's a fantastic read. I loved it. But The Outsiders, which was published in 1967, only seven years after To Kill a Mockingbird, I want to point out, um, is, you know, Essie Hinton was 17 when she wrote that book. It's it's such a good book. It's just a great coming of age. There's tragedy in it. There's, you know, it's, it's you know, oh, so good, so good. And that's definitely one of my top must-reads, which is why I'm going to make sure that Liz reads it eventually. <laughs> Soon. Yeah, I've only, I've only actually read two on your list. I read Lord of the Flies, which I read that at school, and I think that's one of the ones which I would revisit now as an adult because mm-hmm. um, I, I really enjoyed that book, and I've read Nine Times Four, but I haven't read Count of Monte Cristo is definitely on my list of books to read as well. That's one I've been wanting to read for ages because when I was younger, I would only read classics kind of at school, so I'm trying to start making up for that now by reading more classics. Like this year, I think I've read so far Great Gatsby. Uh, I've read some other ones I can't think. Oh, I read... I read Dracula last year, but that was like a second. That was a reread. Yeah. But I've read quite a few kind of Wuthering Heights I read last year. But yeah, so I'm trying to work my way through. So, okay, we've talked about uh, some of our favourites. Um, so let's talk about a kind of our, our least favourites. Um, let's just go for the for one least favourite because I know we are running kind of Pretty long. Episode, <laughs> so sorry about this, guys. <laughs> um, so, Holly, what would you say is your least favorite classic? This is such an easy one for me. It's probably easier than trying to pick a favorite. Um, but Brave New World. Oh my God, I I hate this book. Like I had to read it in school, and I, I told I told Liz the story before we started recording. I had to read this this book. I think you know. When I was about 16, 17 is when I had to read this book for school. I didn't understand it. Like, I was struggling. Like, I hated it. My mom had to read it out loud to me, kind of like as a bedtime story for, like, the course of the time we were reading this book in school. Because it was the only way I was understanding it. Um, So then, you know, graduated high school, graduated college, got a job, whatever. So I turned 30. When I turned 30, I'm like, I'm older. I'm wiser. I'm a teacher. I teach literature. I should be able to go back, revisit this book, and understand it and make it through it. So I went to Barnes and Noble. I spent my hard-earned $15 or whatever on it, brought it home, started reading it. I truly believe that before you finish a book, you should at least get to page like 50 or 60. Don't quit after like 10 pages in. Yeah. I gave this book to page 70. All the way to 70, not 50, not 60. I got to page 70, and I still hated it. It is the only book 
in my entire life that I have actually thrown away in the trash can. Like, I know that sounds blasphemous, but that is the true depth of my dislike for this book. You know, it's actually a TV series now of that book. Is it really? <laughs> I enjoyed it. I've got to admit, I enjoyed Bravely World. I read it um, probably about 10 years ago now because one year, my brother for Christmas, um, he's seven years older than me, um, he bought me like a little stack of books of like thing of books that he thinks I have to read, like I should read, so like classics. Um, so that was in it. Uh, American Psycho, which was so good. Oh my god, it was brilliant. Um, and what else was there? Oh, Fight Club, um, which by Chuck Palahniuk, I think it was. Which do you know what? That was one of the rare books that I could honestly say the film was better. Hmm, interesting. The book was still good, but yeah, the film was better. Um, so yeah, that's when, when I was re- how I got to reading, um, Brave New World. And yeah, unfortunately, that's one thing I, we, we don't agree on. I <laughs> did enjoy Brave New World. <laughs> um, so my least favorite so far, at least, I mean, as I say, I am still reading three classics and making my way through them. Uh, so, so far, kind of my least favorite classic I've read is Grapes of Wrath by oh. John Steinbeck. Because again, I can appreciate the writing. Um, when I first started reading it, I thought it would be a bit more like Of Mice and Men, which I really enjoyed. I studied that at school. Um, but it was just like pain and suffering upon pain and suffering. <laughs> it was constant melancholy throughout. There was there was hardly any hope in that book. And it was just so depressing. Um, I know it was like a, a kind of an accurate, pretty inaccurate portrayal of of life back then in America and of kind of like famine and and things like that. But yeah, it was very depressing. Oh, like slit your wrist depressing. Yeah. And see, and that's a book <laughs> that I know has like, it's been taught in some of the schools I've worked in. Like some teachers choose to teach that book really? to their kids. And I'm like, that goes back to my oh. conversation of like, if you want kids to enjoy reading, don't read that book with them. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh my God. No, I, if I'd read that as a kid, I'd have been like, I would hate it yeah. even more. <laughs> All right. Well, so, I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Um, I was going to say, so obviously just kind of rounding up the whole classics. Um, reading classics at school, we all had to do it, whether um, we're in America, England, wherever. But what do you feel has changed reading classics? As it, um, at school versus kind of being an adult, do you feel that your tastes have changed in the classics that you, you've enjoyed or do you feel that kind of you can appreciate them more? I definitely think I appreciate them. Like I definitely appreciate their value. I appreciate their, their place in literature. Um, I believe that they are important for people to, um, be exposed to and experience and to be able to see the value of it just for their contribution to the literary world. Um, as far as my personal tastes, they haven't changed. I'm not a big classic, <laughs> classic reader. I'm just not, um, you know, and, and I guess because I'm an adult now, like I, I want to, with how I read viewing, like how I view reading, I want, I want to spend my time reading what I want to read and what I enjoy reading. Like there's so many books that I want to get to and 
I, and those would be my priority. Like I, you know, would I go back and read a classic? Yeah. I'm not against reading them. It's just like, if I'm at a point where I'm like, cause I'm a mood reader. So maybe I'm at a point where like nothing is, is striking my fancy to read next. Then maybe one day I will pick up a, 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 like a classic, but I was also a, a an English lit teacher for years, so I've read <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird probably about twelve times. I've read, you know, um, you know, Albert Camus' The Stranger eight times. Like I've I've read certain classics so many times, like Animal yeah. Farm. I've read, like I've just I've read all these books, and and it's like I'm almost classicked out. That I just, you know, I, I, I want to read what I want to read. And, yeah. you know, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think as a child, the only re- way that I read classics was just because I had to, because of school. Um, just because when you're that age, you don't really think about reading classic literature. You think about reading kind of um, the latest Goosebumps or the latest, like, in my case, Jacqueline Wilson. Um <laughs> So it's kind of back then it was you read it because you have to, whereas now I read it because I choose to. So it's given me, as you say, it's also given me kind of a a better understanding. And also I can appreciate the world a lot more rather than just having to analyse the characters and analyse the, the whole um, world. You get to just enjoy it. You just mm-hmm. get to read it and just take it in um, all in one go as it as you read so taste wise I mean I guess so um I've I feel like my taste has broadened if anything that I've kind of I want to experience more variants of of classics I mean you do say you don't like classics but I think what you mean is you don't like the classic classics because you seem to like a lot of modern classics absolutely it is definitely the classic (laughs) classic that um just they just don't appeal to me very much but the modern classics like you know and and I guess even like we talked about Alice in Wonderland was published in the 1800s so that would be a classic classic because it's over a hundred years old um but I I enjoyed that one so it's I don't know if it's if if it's more of a writing style like I Mm. I just am just not a fan of like Steinbeck's writing style or like that type of writing yeah I mean I guess it's because the classic classics I see as more kind of the like the Regency um, eras, and as you say, like the the deep South American kind of. <laughs> and saying um, I lived in the South, Regency I've <laughs> I don't need to read about the South. I've I've lived there. <laughs> we used to That's, go on um, on uh, vac- on like uh, not vacations, but in school we'd go on field trips to like Southern plantations, and I've lived that world. Did you? <laughs> all right so we're gonna wrap up our show with our traditional um either or but it's going to be battle of the classics okay are you ready ready okay here we go all right number one frankenstein or dracula dracula i'd pick dracula to Kill a Mockingbird or Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies. I would pick Lord of the Flies, too, and I love both of them. Three, Pride and Prejudice or Wuthering Heights? Pride and Prejudice. 
Wuthering Heights. Little Women or Alice in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Jane Austen or the Bronte sisters? The Bronte sisters. I'd pick the Bronte sisters too. Uh, of Mice and Men or Tale of Two Cities? Of Mice and Men. I'd pick Of Mice and Men as well. 1984 or Great Expectations? Ooh, <laughs> Great Expectations. I'd pick 1984. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. The Great Gatsby or Tess of the D'Urbervilles? Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. And Grapes of Wrath or Brave New World? Brave New World. Uh, I would probably, this is so sad, but I would probably pick Brave New World just because of the writing style. I think that, yeah, like, I know, as much as I just complained about it, I hated it. Do you know what? For anyone listening, I chose that because we would say something different and we didn't say something different. (laughs) I surprised you. Yeah, I just don't know if I could, I I know, and I've never read Grapes of Wrath, but I know enough about it. That's why, like, when you started reading it and you told me you were reading it, I'm like, oh, Godspeed, Liz. Good luck. Um, I just, you know, ooh. But, again, like, now I'm 40. Maybe I need to give it the third time's the charm. Maybe I need to go rebuy it. And oh, I, No, there's other books I want to read. It's not worth it's, it. It's not worth it. Let me <laughs> You, you have your whole life to live. You <laughs> That's right. And I'm trying to set a good ex- a good reading example for my teenagers. So if they see me start cussing out a book and, like, tearing its pages out and throwing it in the trash, what are they going to think about reading? Exactly. I got to think about the kids. Think about the children. That's right. All right. Well, we had so much fun on a very long show. So I hope that if you made it to the end, um, you know, thank you. Especially, you know, if you, uh, you know, listen to it in chunks, that's always a, a good way to do it. Um, I, I get we can be a little, a lot, a lot to handle. So you might need us in smaller chunks. But I hope that you found it interesting. Liz, where can they find you on social media? Uh, on Instagram, you can find me at Lizzie's Little Book Nook, and that's Lizzie with an I-E. Um, and also on my website, which is lizzie'slittlebooknook.co.uk. How about you, Holly? So I'm on Instagram at azdesertbookworm. And then my blog and website is, the shortcut is tinyurl.com slash Desert Bookshelf, um, and that's where all of my reviews and, and lots of other bookish fun stuff is located. All right, so uh, this this episode drops on Monday, March 14th, which means tomorrow for, for listeners, Liz and I will be busy reading um, The War of Two Queens yeah. by Jennifer Armentrout, so don't bother us for about a, a week. Um, <laughs> but You reckon it'll be delivered at midnight to our Kindles? Oh, I hope so. I want to like the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up in the morning is to check to see if I have it in my yes. in my library. Um, so yeah, I might have to midnight to see. Oh, this is very- <laughs> then I'll probably go to sleep like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, if that, I might not sleep at all. Work. Like I'll have to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Jennifer. It's worth it. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, so okay. So only a couple couple more days when you're listening to this. Only a couple more hours um, until it comes mm-hmm. out. So we hope that you are reading some amazing books. 
Thank you so much for joining us and spending the last hour and 45 <laughs> minutes uh, listening to our, our, our ranting and bantering. We appreciate it, and we hope that you'll come back and um, listen to our April show. So until then, read some good books. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.